morning, MacAv members. Uh, wish you guys were sitting in my living room with me. I miss you guys. For those of you who are just joining us to listen to the sermon, welcome. If there's anything we can do um, to help you in this time of crisis, please feel free to reach out to our Mac Church. Talk to Ginny, talk to Leon, contact me. We can put you in uh, some help with resources. Today's title of the sermon is The Struggle of Work as an Opportunity is an Opportunity for the Redeemed Life. Let's open in prayer. Lord Jesus, come now, fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom, give us understanding. Lord, would you shed fear from our minds and our hearts, and in its place would you put peace, comfort, the joy of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, the struggle of work as an opportunity for the redeemed life. The world has just hit a gigantic reset button. Everything has stopped because of the virus. Economic, political, social have all hit a reset button. And I've been recently listening to someone who I like and admire, and he said, now is the time to rethink how we do things. Have we been doing them properly with government, with businesses, with social situations? And so although it's a very incredibly scary time, I want to encourage you, let's take advantage of this time to rethink our view on work, whether it pertains to your current job or if you're thinking about changing careers, and to do so in terms of how it affects our choices and how we've made our career and how it allows us or hinders us from living out this redeemed life that Christ has provided for us. Work is the skin of practical living on the skeleton of Scripture. Now, there's a a number of things that act out as skin on the skeleton, but today we're talking about work, the practical living of work. And again, as a foundation is Scripture, and as we put skin on it, that's our acting out of work. And for our considerations today, I'm going to define work pretty broadly. It might be a career, whether that's paid, an unpaid position, something like being a stay-at-home parent or a student. The principles discussed should cover the broad range of these uh, definitions for work. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, And he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Our responsibility in the workplace as redeemed individuals is to live out this equipped life for the work of the ministry. And that happens, again, Pastor Leon's our main teacher, but we have other teachers that equip us for this work. Just a real quick recap of the last conversation we had on work. We showed that God worked as he created creation, and then he charged men and women to rule, populate, subdue, 
and work this creation. Work was in Eden's paradise and did not come as a result of the curse. The question was asked last time, though, how does curse affect work? And I would say that twofold. Specifically, work, which was originally a gift, became cursed because of Adam and Eve's sin. It brought enmity between God and his creation, resulting in uh, what God now calls painful labor when he refers to work. Ephesians 3, 16 and 19 uh, has a bit of an analogy where it talks about thorns and thistles. And previously, let's say Adam was planting something, there was perfect sun, perfect seed, perfect soil, perfect water. Everything was fine. And now God says, in our work, there's going to be thistles that prick us, and it's going to affect the food that we eat. It's going to affect the way we work. And he also says that by the sweat of your brow will you eat. So something that was probably enjoyable as work has now become toilsome and laborious. Romans 8.22 says that earth groans, awaiting the freedom from the bondage of corruption that sin has brought on this earth. And most of the time today, we're going to be talking more in a general sense of how the curse has affected it. So whether you want to call it the curse, sin, or fall, it brought a universal pallor over earth's entirety and all its workings. It brought distortion to all of creation, hindering the creator's original intent of paradise, where harmony via community was the norm. Now chaos, because of sin, has become that new norm. We're going to talk about a couple things, really broken relationships. When I say boss, employee, management, labor, we see there's conflict right out of the gate. And then things like greed and laziness, idolatry, integrity's gone, trust has been abandoned. And that plays on both sides, labor and management. It's not just a one-sided thing. And then another point is what I call the hierarchical of financial worth or value based on job titles. Again, as redeemed, we should be thinking about these things that I'm about to bring before your attention in a different venue, but it's something we still have to fight and struggle with. When I say blue collar and white collar, you immediately have pictures in your mind of some of the components of what those describe. Or if I say a CEO or a checkout cashier, pictures in your mind. A stay-at-home mom versus a breadwinner. As believers, we have the clarifying lens of Scripture to formulate our world view. The idea of loving your enemy transcends all borders. We need to be aware that as believers, our conduct should be countercultural and bring a sting of sorts to the conscience of others and to show that we're not of this world, but in fact we're an employee of the Most High God. So whether you're a student interacting with professors and fellow students, or you're a parent Zooming 
or Marco Poloing with other people that might be non-employed, or you're full-time employed, your expression of life must be from the perspective of Scripture and its dictates. So let's talk about some reasons why we struggle. First and foremost, I think, is giftings. And I want to give you an analogy. Let's say that there's a whole group of people, grandpas, parents, siblings, children, and you're all at the ocean, at the beach. The tide comes in, brings with it a bunch of fish. The tide goes back out, and the fish are stranded on the beach. And they're flopping around because they're out of their environment. And you look at some of the young kids, and the kids are saying, oh, look at how happy the fish are. They're dancing, and they're high-fiving each other with their dorsal fins. And the parents look at each other, and they say, no, the fish are dying. They're out of their natural habitat. Let's carry this a step further and say someone in this crowd brought one of those plastic swimming pools because their children were too small to go in the ocean. So you fill the swimming pool with salt water, put the fish in. The fish goes back to being able to swim and, and breathe properly. Now what happens if you take that fish out for your kids so that they can see them jumping? They're out of their element again, and then you put them back in the water, and then you take them out, and you put them back in, and you take them out. Can that fish survive in that environment? Maybe, but at a huge detriment to its health. And eventually, it will succumb to death. I want you guys to see that God has given us gifts. We're going to talk about them just momentarily. That if you're able to live out in that gifting in your workplace, you're just going to be a much happier person. And the redeemingness of your life will show through based on the gifts that God has given you. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 and 11 say, Now there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, or varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, And this is the great part, for the common good. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. God gives these gifts, all of them in their different manifestations, are from God and he apportions them as he sees fit. And then in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, There's a new analogy that's very similar to the diversity of giftings that we just talked about. But this is in relationship to the body parts that make up the body of Christ. And the author uses an analogy about hands and eyes and feet and how one can't say to the other, yeah, you're not as important as I am. We really don't need you because the entirety of the body functions well when all of its members are living out and doing their natural giftings. So although the above scriptural references are addressing the church specifically, I'm convinced that in essence the same gifts also apply in whatever dimension of work you're engaged in. If you're a prophet, then that same expression of truth-telling and of calling out injustice that's evidenced as you exercise that in the church body can and should be 
exercised in your field of work. All gifts, all body parts are given and empowered by God himself. And remember why? For the common good. And I would argue that that's not only for the body of Christ, but for the body that's yet to be redeemed. The people who see you in your work environment as you're equipped living out these giftings and expressing the redeemed life that God has given you. Frederick Buckner has a quote that says, The kind of work God usually calls you to is the kind of work that you need to do and that the world needs to have done. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's hunger meets. He says that God calls you to do the work that you need to do and the work that the world needs done and that that should be a joyful place. Now, I believe that the above quote stands on its own as a complete truth. But I would be foolish if I thought that there's the same opportunity across the board for all people to choose equally, to choose a dream job or even a job that fully uses our giftings for any person. A loss of choice is affected by race, by bigotry, by social and political forces that can potentially limit the freedom defined in the above quote by Buckner. But I would be equally amiss if I didn't at least inform you of all of the miraculous exploits of God, of the universe, who rules over all creation and cares not for the strength or supposed power of man who would try to hold God's children in the very bondage that his son purchased by his ever-powerful blood. Read the endeavors of the disciples in the book of Acts, stories of missionaries worldwide, as well as everyday Christians who live free under the lordship of Jesus himself. This is a very dynamic tension that I speak of when we contrast the oppressive assault of man's schemes against other men versus the holy truth of God's sovereignty and his power and his redemptive love that subdues and counts as naught the wiles of the wicked, of these very same men. So as we discuss work and how, as equipped, redeemed people, in the midst of that struggle, we can honor the Lord and we can live in those joyful giftings as you think about your work, whether you want to change career or just how you can flourish in your work, and again, stay-at-home parents, you can ask yourself these same questions. Students, you can ask yourself these same questions. First is, how has God designed me? What gifts, what talents? Are you an introvert, an extrovert? What is your mental capacity, your physical capacity, environmental constraints on you? How has God designed me? Second, what life experience have shaped me? Whether they're good or whether they're bad, you've got to pay attention to them both. And you've got to look at how, in fact, that they've affected you. Third question is, 
What circumstances surround me? Look at the current circumstances. Are they temporary? Are they permanent? Concerning work, do you want to change jobs or do you want to just flourish in your existing job? And lastly, and this is key, what do my wise counselors say? You should ask friends and include friends, maybe parents, maybe siblings, if you have a spouse, to assess who you are as they see your natural giftings being expressed in everyday life. And I'm not sure exactly how to word this, but I'd almost also ask you to ask, like I want to say enemies, but that's not the right term, but ask people who don't have a vested interest in your friendship because they're going to be able to be a little bit more brutally honest with you and help you see things that maybe you didn't see before. Now we're going to talk about a couple of words, choice and unchoice. And I don't even think that that's a word, but it it seems to fit here, so please bear with me. Environment, parents, ethnicity, personality, makeup, height, build, mental components, community, health, self-perception, all of those things listed affect the way we choose and how we're potentially unable to choose. So it's both in a positive and a negative way. Now, my daughter, Martha's pastor, uh, has this thing he calls the law of choice. And I don't know if he made it up or uh, if he got it from somewhere, but there's three points I want to list concerning the idea of choice. And again, how this encompasses our, our work component. Number one is you always have the right to choose. You always have the right to choose. And number two, you don't have the right not to choose. Because in not choosing, you've made a choice. And number three is, you don't have the right to choose the consequences of your choices. Now this goes back to number one in a strong sense in that There are people who the choices that they have to make are much, much more difficult than the choices that maybe someone like myself has to make or other people. And I want to acknowledge that. Some choices are limited, but you can always say yes or no or appeal. There will be consequences, but the choice is still yours to make. Be empowered by that. Anyone at any time can learn and begin to make and process the how-tos that will influence the future, creating more win-win scenarios versus the better of two evils. First and foremost should be the question, and here's the skeletal of Scripture that we put the skin of practical living of work on. And that question is, does Scripture direct and define your choices. As you begin to make decisions, what's the first thing do you do? Do you pray and seek God's word? If it's not specific in God's word pertaining to your question, we have the Holy Spirit who knows the mind of God. Do you seek his wisdom and his counsel? Do you take the time to listen 
when you ask questions. Parents, friends, tests, authors, siblings, co-workers, Mac community, all of these are potential assets in the process of determining healthy decisions making regarding our workplace expressions. You have free will and every new day brings opportunities to choose the path of life, of newness, and of fulfilling God's plan for you. Now concerning unchoices, same thing applies to what I brought up all the other different parents, authorities, and that kind of thing have effect on unchoices. And these things, to some degree, fall outside our scope of self-governing. These are much trickier to deal with, but we still have options. Again, environment, parents, ethnicity, personality, makeup, all have opportunity to potentially deny us the opportunity to make a legitimate choice. But the path of healthy dealing with life's unchangeables, unchoices, are fourfold. First is to properly discern whether or not it's a true unchoice or it's an unchangeable influence. There are circumstances that at first glance appear to be overwhelming, but under further scrutiny, we see that in fact they are more conquerable than we first envisioned. Again, you only have your limited perspective, so I would encourage you, include others, gain wise counsel of those who know you, that they're going to be able to help you say, no, you can really change this one, or maybe you can't. Determine which battles you're going to fight, because the effort to overcome and the cost to do so may overshadow the potential benefit. I'm going to give you two examples. Say you're a dentist and you've been out of school for a year and you realize you don't want to be a dentist. I want to be an artist. But you have overwhelming college debt. To make a decision to quit dentistry before the debt was paid off is, is unwise. And again, I, I try to want to include stay-at-home parents If you have children, you can't ignore that you have children. You can't make decisions apart from them. You can't just send them up to their room, have them stay there for 10 hours a day with no interaction. You've chosen something, and that's not a battle that you're going to win. C is make a plan to dilute as much as possible these unchoices as they relate to your current situation. Remove yourself from unhealthy influences, first of all, recognizing them, whether they're parents that are overbearing, siblings that have gone astray or do things differently, societal ways, co-workers, peer groups, educational. I think I've mentioned a number of times that both of my children, James and Martha, during conversations that we've had, have said, hey, mom and dad, like, we think you guys did a great job raising us. But there are some things that we think that you guys said and did that just don't fit our lives and that weren't possibly as truthful as you thought that they were. And it's, it's cool to see them making healthy choices, even though it's a bit of an unchoice because in the back of their mind, they're bucking mom and dad. 
but they're eliminating some unhealthy influences that maybe Betty and I exerted over them to form their own path. Lastly, you've got to make peace with a true unchangeable. And I hope this is a good couple of analogies, but in the Old Testament, Joshua was handing out land per God's instruction. And per God's instruction, the Levites, the priesthood, did not receive any land. But God told Joshua to say to them, tell them I am their portion. Now, they didn't get land to pass on to their kids or to build on. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to owning land, and they received none of them. So it was a struggle, though, but like, man, to have God be your portion? And also, uh, an unchangeable is that you are accountable for the talents given, and nothing more. Now, you have to develop as a believer and you have to develop these talents. But I'm just saying that the talents that God's given you, those and how you use them are specifically what he's going to hold you accountable for. There are financial considerations. The Bible tells us to count the cost. And I want to ask you a couple of questions, especially under the circumstances that you're at now. What are your true needs? You know, There's a couple of people that I've talked to outside of church that as we've had discussions, they've said that they're living paycheck to paycheck. And I know for a fact that that's not true as I watch because they've told me where and how they spend their money. And they spend it on things that might not be frivolous, but they're not necessities. They are wants. So again, especially in this time of turmoil, and especially as you consider work, changing careers, whatever it is, figure out what your true needs are. And I'd encourage you to get a budget. Budgets are crucial uh, for the financial health of any household. And also you can ask yourself the question, can I get to the place of a new career? And Plan for it, six months, a year, two years, three years down the road. And then lastly is perception, and probably self-perception. Have I accurately assessed my talents and my abilities? Is work an idol? Is what I seek after an idol of fame or riches? Or selfish ambition? Or is it escape from reality? You stay at work so that you don't have to go to a poor situation at home. I want to read a quote that my stepfather gave me years and years ago. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. You know, I I have someone that I wanted to use an example and was kind of hesitant. Uh, So I called Pastor Leon and we kind of talked through it. 
Um, many of you know a young man who goes to our church who's married. His name is Rafik. Rafik and Rhea Broughton, our brother and sister, and they've just recently lost their mom to the virus. And for that, we're just terribly sorrowful. But I wanted to use Rafik as an example of this quote of perseverance and determin- or persistence and determination. I met Rafik, I think, seven years ago. And immediately I liked this guy. And we would talk, and he's, he's still pretty shy, but I found out that he's like, he was a tech working on electronics. And then months later, or whatever it was, I found out uh, he wants to go to school. He's going to school to get his electronic in, uh, electrical engineering degree. And over the course of these seven years, I, I might not have all the details 100% accurate, but there were numerous times where he ran into an obstacle. Um, he's got a large family. He's got four children. And so sometimes finances played into that he had to take a semester off. Or maybe some of his classes didn't transfer to the new college. Or he was trying to find a way to get his employer to assist with the costs of his education. And I think there were times where maybe his grades were poor. He had to get his grades back up to be able to go back to college or maybe retake a class. And then probably two months ago, three months ago, I talked to him. And the biggest one came when he found out that his employer was shutting the business down and moving it to Mexico. And I was like, man, my eyes got gigantic. And I just said, man, Rafik, I'm so sorry. And he said, no, it's actually really good. Uh, President Trump has a uh, plan where if you've lost your job due to foreign competition, the government's going to help pay for his education. And what's my point in all this? Man, for seven years... He's been plugging away at getting his degrees. After obstacle, after obstacle, after obstacle, he continues to pursue it. He's got a wife, four children, full-time job, going to school, coming to Mac, doing life. He is the epitome to me of the persistence and determination alone is going to get him where he wants to go as he's pursued a new career. In ending, we must play the hand that's been dealt us. There are numerous circumstances that affect our career, whether the paid, unpaid student or parental version. God has sovereignly formed portions of us, but I've tried to show you where, when, and how you can live this life of talents, giftings, and joys within the will of God where human choice can reign. And in the midst of life and work's struggles, our life as the redeemed will find its expression because we've not only been scripturally equipped, but we've added the knowledge and fortitude that self-awareness provides. Would you pray with me? Lord, especially in these trying times, Uh, I would ask that you would bring comfort, hope to the community at large, to Mac Ave, to churches across the nation, to peoples across the nation. Lord, as you've equipped us uh, for the work of the ministry, may that spill out in all aspects of our life, but maybe especially work as that's what's been our discussion today. Lord, would you bring hope? 
Lord God, would you bring hope of a future? In Jesus' name, amen.